You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. If you're visiting with us this evening, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're honored that you've chosen to join us uh, tonight. If you're watching online, we want to say welcome to you, too. So glad that you've joined us. I hope this is a a blessing and encouragement uh, to you as well. Look forward to seeing you soon. We have room for you. Um, We are trying to keep things safe here, and uh, if you're able to come and and hang out with us, um, we would love to have you come and, and join us as you are Uh, ready. Before I jump into our time uh, in our passage this evening, I want to do another real quick announcement. Uh, Every Christmas season, for the past few holiday seasons uh, in previous years, we have done something called a Christmas mission offering. And what we've done is we've asked you to consider giving to a special uh, gift to uh, help us bless uh, people that we are connected to relationally. You just got a little sneak peek. Did you see it? Yeah, some of you saw it. Go, you can go ahead and throw it up here. We are excited this year to announce that our Christmas mission offering in full uh, is going to go to our really good friends who we're going to miss dearly um, when they leave us, uh, Jim and Laura Campbell. As many of you know, uh, they have been in the process of preparing to go to the UK, and uh, those plans are really starting to get firmed up and... and uh, um, you'll hear more about this in the days to come, but uh, um, we are really on the final stretch of, of having them with us here. And so as a way to bless them, uh, we want to ask you to consider giving to a special fund uh, that we are then going to bless them with the, uh, the, uh, what, what's raised. And so what, what you're going to do, the, probably the best way, easiest way to do this is to go online, go to uh, your online uh, Realm account. If you're a partner with us, you know what that is. If you're a partner with us and you don't know what that is, let let us know. We'll get you connected. But there's a way that you can give to this fund there online. There'll be a little drop-down menu. Uh, I was told that it's live and ready to go, so even if you wanted to do it like right now, you could. But you're going to go in, drop-down menu, select the, the, the mission uh, Christmas mission offering option, and then we'll make an announcement at some point. these uh, these gifts throughout this month, and then we'll make an announcement at some point in January on what was raised uh, so that we can let the Campbells know um, how we are blessing them in that way. So consider being a part of, of this special Christmas offering this, uh, this holiday season. Well, this past summer, um, our family took a sabbatical, like many of you know, and uh, over those three months, one of the things that we knew that we wanted to do as a family was to just relax together, hang out, take a vacation. And so one of the things that we hadn't done as a family up until this point is go to the Smoky Mountains. Um, we've been close to the Smoky Mountains. I, we've been to, like me and Holly have been to the Smoky Mountains before just ourselves. I, I had been before, Holly had been before, but uh, as a family, um, we had not been there together. So we said, we want to go to North Carolina. We want to like stay in the mountains. We want to see the mountains. We want to experience the mountains. <clears throat> so we uh, found this little spot, this little mountain house, our kids called it, in, in the hills of uh, Robbinsville, North Carolina. Uh, what I didn't, by the way, notice on the, uh, the Airbnb description is that it didn't have air conditioning until like the week before we left. Thankfully, it wasn't 
oppressively hot, but it was pretty hot. Um, when we got to this, uh, this space, um, one of the things that we started to think through was like, how are we really going to see the mountains? We've got we've to like figure out a way to, to get in a place where we can see them. And so we started to think about, well, maybe we should go to a few overlooks. If you're familiar with mountain areas, you know there's spaces where you can stop and see this sort of like a vista. And you can look out and see uh, really, really beautiful scenery. And so we started to uh, map that out. And we realized that one of the things that we needed to do was get on this road that took you through the Great Smoky Mountains, Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And so as we drove on this road, we stopped at a few uh, overlooks, and they were unbelievable. They were stunning. But we noticed at one point a sign that said, Klingsman Dome, five miles. And I remember in all the research that I had done um, what Klingsman Dome was. Klingsman Dome is the highest point in the Smoky Mountains. It, uh, it's a spot that you go to and you walk up about a half a mile of concrete to this sort of spiral uh, like walkway that takes you up to the top of this dome and you can get like a 360 degree view of the Smoky Mountains. Some say you can see 100 miles out. Some could even say on a really clear day you can see seven states. But um, we decided, though we hadn't planned to, we were going to go to Klingsman Dome. It was kind of a fun moment for the family. So we drove up there, walked up, got up to the top of Klingsman Dome, and sure enough, it was stunning. When we got up there, we just sort of stood there in awe. We were overwhelmed with the beauty and the majesty of all that we saw all around us, 360 degrees And what you need to know is that in my research, what I knew of Klingsman Dome and and the scenery was all through pictures. And the pictures were unbelievable. But it paled in comparison to actually being there in that space in real time, looking out with my own eyes these beautiful, beautiful landscapes of mountains, these blue and green and gray mountains. Now, seeing things for what they really are will do that. Seeing magnificent things up close changes you. Uh, I experienced in that moment on top of Klingsman Dome a whole new appreciation for the Smoky Mountains that I wouldn't have experienced unless I had been up there. I, I wonder if a lot of our problems and frustrations and difficulties in life have a lot to do with the fact that you and I are missing something that is magnificent and, and, and it has magnitude. It's right in front of us, but we don't see it. We're choosing not to see it. We're looking in the other direction. Maybe um, we are not getting an up-close view of something that we really need to that would actually bring about transformation in our lives, would bring about change. I wonder sometimes if we have settled for a lesser version of something great and grand, if we've settled for the pictures of something, but not the real thing, something that was meant to transform us and, and, and get in us and, and make us into something new deep, deep down, what would happen if we slowed down and, and gazed upon the one thing that should be supreme in our lives? I wonder how that might change us for good. We are in a series this Christmas season called Incarnate, and we are looking at a a few passages that deal with this beautiful and profound mystery and doctrine of the Incarnation, 
Um, it is uh, so deep and so profound. It's, we really can't get to the bottom of it, but what we're trying to do is, is just get a, a glimpse, an understanding of what, how amazing it is that God sent his son Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, into our time and space, into the culture of man, to be the once and for all sacrifice for sin. It is the most amazing miracle ever. And we are trying to just sort of scratch the surface and look at a few passages in this, uh, the Bible that we have to, to get a, an understanding of what exactly the incarnation is all about. And one of the temptations in studying something that's so rich theologically is that we gain a lot of great knowledge, but it hasn't affected our hearts. And that is not our aim in this series. Our hope is that both your head and your heart are engaged, and really for you, this Christmas season, particularly as we approach Christmas Day and what Christmas is all about, is that your heart would be moved to deeper worship because of the incarnation. So, as we do that tonight, as we look at our passage in Colossians, I want to invite you to see two things. First, I want to invite you to see this. Jesus is supreme, Jesus is supreme. And then second, I want you to see this. Jesus is supreme over all things, even your sin. Jesus is supreme over all things, even your sin. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open in Colossians chapter 1, beginning there in verse 15. That's where we'll begin tonight. As you heard it read from Ryan earlier, uh, I don't know if it landed on you this way, but this is one of the, the most loftiest and grandest passages in, in all of the Bible. One of the most theologically rich passages uh, in all of the Bible. Notice, though, as we get into it tonight, the he of our passage. The he of our passage tonight is Jesus. Now, there is a reason that Paul is grounding Jesus in this sort of soaring, majestic language here. Uh, if you don't know some of the background about why Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, Paul, in part, is writing to his friends in the church of Colossae because he had heard from his friend Epaphras that there were some false teachers that had infiltrated the ranks there, and they were teaching heresy. They were teaching this. They were teaching that, that Christ, Jesus, actually wasn't God that he was just sort of a, a, a great spirit that had descended from God among a bunch of other spirits, and, and Jesus was just, just another dude, just another guy. And Paul, of course, one of the things that he does in his letters and writing to his ch uh, churches uh, that he helped plant, uh, he, he would call to, or he would call, listen to me, he would, he would, write, to, uh, he would write to correct them. He would write to correct them, and one of the things that he's doing here is he wanted to remind his friends in the church in Colossae that that sort of, of teaching was heresy. And what he does here in this passage is start out by saying, you need to know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's not just a spirit in a long line of spirits. He actually is the image of the invisible God. Now, in 1 Timothy, Paul tells us in another place that God is immortal and invisible, Father God, Yahweh God. But here in our passage, Paul is declaring an unbelievable truth for us. He is saying, the invisible God became visible to us in Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
That's what this series is all about, right? Jesus left the culture of heaven, came into the culture of man as fully God, fully man. And, and now that we come to this idea here, we see that, that Jesus was the image of the invisible God, which means, yes, he was fully God. He is uh, the exact imprint of God. To say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God means that Je- Jesus' deity is settled. There's no question here. He was and is God, which means there is nothing missing, nothing altered, nothing changed. He is the exact copy of God himself. Now look with me, if you would, though, at the last part of verse 15. Paul says that Jesus, as the image of the invisible God, is also the firstborn of all creation. Now this particular phrase uh, has gotten people hung up a little bit because it sounds like this means that Jesus was born. Now Jesus was born in our time and space, but let me me say it this way. Some people get tripped up over this because it sounds like Jesus was a created being. Like Jesus um, uh, did not exist until he was born in our time and space. But listen... That's not what this term means. The word firstborn here means it's dealing with the idea of birthright or dealing with the idea of rank or position in a a family. Those in the Colossian church would have understood this because of the way that families were structured. They would have understood that that, uh, Paul was saying that Jesus is the father's heir. We talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus is the honored one, the privileged one. But it also means this. Look there at verse 16 and 17. By him all things were created. So Jesus, yes, was a a part of creating everything, but it also says that Jesus was before all things. So listen, this means that Jesus created everything, but he did so as the uncreated one. If this isn't blowing your minds a little bit, it should be. This is why this is so rich and, 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 and deep. This is some profound theological truth here. Jesus created everything as the uncreated one. Now in verse 18, and I wish we had time to unpack this, what it means for Jesus to be the head of the church, but uh, to put it simply, what this means is that Jesus is the senior pastor of Mercy View. This means that he is the chief shepherd It means that we are, by God's grace, asking him, where are you at work, God? Where are you at work, Jesus? Where are you at work, Holy Spirit? We want to join you in the work that you are doing. And and we are um, always asking that question, by the way, as elders and leadership and staff here, like, we don't want to get out ahead of you, Jesus. Show us where you're leading us. And that's what it means for Jesus to be truly the head of the church. But Paul is is pushing to a climax here. Look at verse 18. As he talks about all of the lofty ways that we've just talked about, in, in, in the ways that Jesus is. He's just describing here, who, here is who Jesus is. So he says, Jesus, all these things, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the, uh, the creator while himself being uncreated, he's the head of the church. And Why? Why are all those things true? It's so that in everything he might be, what? Preeminent. So that he might be supreme. This is the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is preeminent. 
Paul's point here is he's not hedging. He is wanting you to know that, that Jesus is. This is a, a, a truth. This is a fact. Jesus is supreme. Now, some of you have probably heard the famous C.S. Lewis quote um, where he says that either Jesus says who he says he is or he's a lunatic or he is a liar. Right? He's either Lord, he's either a lunatic, he's out of his mind, or he is just lying to you about what he says he is. And you've probably heard us even use that quote here before and, and, and kind of riff on that a little bit, but here's, I want to go a little different direction with this, this idea tonight. If Jesus was just a, a great man, uh, if he was just a, a great guru, a great teacher, um, there would be some limits, maybe a lot of limits, over his uh, over over you and his rights over you. There would be some, if not a lot, of of limits that that Jesus would have over you if he's just a great prophet, if he's just a great teacher, right? If he's just a great like guru. What rights does he really have over you? What kind of supremacy, what kind of preeminence does Jesus really have over you? Not very much. But if Jesus is God, if Jesus is Lord, which is the, 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 the heart of the incarnation here, if he is supreme over everything, as it says here in Colossians 1, his supremacy confronts us. You can't know the supreme one if something else is supreme in your life. If there is anything in your life that if you lost it, it would crush you, it would cause you to be lost, it would cause you to be despondent, it would maybe provoke anger within you, it would that that thing, or even other people, it's likely that that thing is what is supreme in your life, not God. It is what we have called here at Mercy View, we did a whole series earlier this year on this, um, idolatry. Something that is supreme over the supreme one. So we have to wrestle with this idea. If Jesus is supreme, it confronts us. It confronts us on the question of, is he really supreme in our life? So how do you know? If something else is supreme in your life in the place where Jesus alone should be. Well, let's do a little bit of heart work here. Um, when you really boil down idolatry to its very essence, that it's said that really we all struggle with four idols at the bottom of it all. And sometimes we struggle with more than one at a time. But the four idols are the idol of power, the idol of approval, the idol of comfort, business with uh, our own heart. And so let's just do some work here. Let's, let's uh, do business with uh, our own hearts and, and wrestle a little bit here so that we can really truly leave here tonight having answered the question, if anything is supreme over and above Jesus in our lives. So let's just say you uh, struggle with the idol of power. You seek power. What would that mean? What are some other ways that, that you seek power? Well, through success, like you've got to win at every cost. Um, you need to have uh, influence. And again, idols aren't all bad things. Many times they're good things that have become great things. It's not wrong to have influence. It's not wrong to have success. It's not wrong to win. 
But when those things are supreme, you might be dealing with the idol of power. Your greatest nightmare, if you have the idol of power in your life, is being humiliated in life. One of your greatest fears is losing. People around you often feel used and insignificant. Uh, Your problem emotions are anger and and exasperation. Uh, I uh, I had a mentor once. I heard him tell his story. He was at a church and leading and... um, uh, he was confronted repeatedly by other leaders in his, his leadership team that he, uh, he was not leading uh, and shepherding people well. And, 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 and he would change his behavior for a little while and then he would kind of get back into old patterns. And ultimately, he was asked to leave this situation at this church because he continued to uh, uh, struggle with, with uh, treating people well and, and leading them well. And uh, in his story, as he reflected on it, he talks about having um, conversations with some of the previous staff people that he worked with and some of the the, the members of the church and uh, just trying to unpack and and, and understand what went wrong. And one of the common themes that he heard from his staff and from from, uh, members in his church was, I felt like a pawn here. I felt used by you. I felt like I was just a a tool to help you become prominent, help you become known. And my buddy had to come to a place of understanding that he had an idol of power. It actually ruined his relationship with a lot of people and ultimately a church that he had planted and was just a, a great church, but he had to step away. That's the power idol. That's where it can lead. But maybe you struggle with the, the idol of approval. I find this to be a pretty common one for, for most people. Most people in this room tonight um, want other people to approve of them. I'm not, not saying everybody, but, but a lot of you do. And if you struggle with the idol of approval, again, some of these things are good, but you want them too much. You want affirmation. You want love. You, you want relationships. Your greatest nightmare is being rejected, being alone, or being dismissed. People around you often feel smothered and annoyed because of that. And and your uh, sort of problem emotions in this are loneliness. When you feel lonely, you go into a bad place or or unhappiness. If you seek the comfort idol, uh, this is mine, one of mine, Uh, uh, you really value privacy and, and, and lack of stress and freedom Again, all fine and normal unless they are more important than they should be. Your greatest na- nightmare is stress and demands on you. Uh, your problem em- emotions are being bored or anxious. People around you often feel neglected or lonely. And the last idol, if you, can tr- if you struggle with control, this means you value self-discipline and, 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 and standards and certainty, all good things, but if out of proportion to what should be most important, can become supreme in your life. If you struggle with the idol of control, which, by the way, is a close second for me after comfort, your greatest nightmare is uncertainty and disorder, right? Um, People around you often feel condemned because they're not living up to your standards, nervous because they're not living up to to that. Your problem emotions are worry that things are not where they need to be, they're not in control, or judgment because other people aren't up to snuff for you. 
Which of these are your idols? It's important for us to do this work in business with the Lord because in order for us to be able to say with integrity, with confidence, with joy that Jesus, you are supreme, we have to know what, uh, what is in opposition to that. And for many of us, it's one of those four things. And so, so how do we get well? <laughs> how, it's one thing to diagnose. It's another thing to, to get well. Once you identify what you struggle with, you can begin by dismantling them, by replacing them with the supremacy of Jesus like this. And you should probably do this um, in your own walk with the Lord. You should do this vertically, but also horizontally with people in your D group and in your your MC, people that you trust. Jesus, I don't need to be in power because you are. And you're a better you're a better manager. You're uh, the things that are are true about you, the the way that you influence the world in 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 a good way. I'd rather. Put my faith and trust in that kind of power and supremacy. Jesus, uh, uh, I don't need other people's approval. The opinion that matters the most has already been settled, and it's, it's yours. You are pleased with me. You love me. I belong to you. Or, or maybe, Jesus, um, um, I find my comfort in you. Not in this thing or, or that thing that is fleeting, that is, that is temporary. I want to I find comfort in the one uh, who can give me complete and total comfort. Or Jesus, I don't have to be in control. You're sovereign. You're, you're good. And, and your plan, your providence is way better than anything that I could come up with. And here's the thing. You don't just say it once. You keep preaching this, and what you're really doing is preaching the gospel to yourself. And the more that you do that, the more that it gets massaged more deeply into your soul, you're going to begin to find that the things that you once really loved, power, control, approval, comfort, those things begin to be replaced, and Jesus begins to be the ways in which you find those things instead. Does that make sense? So, so listen, it's not wrong to, to have success. It's not wrong to have influence. It's not wrong to seek affirmation and love from other people. It's not wrong to, to have freedom. It's not wrong to be self-disciplined and have standards. But when those things become more important than Jesus, you have replaced where, and not actually the mountains, with something lesser than the pictures of the mountains and not actually the mountains, not actually Jesus. If you would look with me there, beginning in verse 19. Here we continue to see some of the depth of the beauty of the incarnation. We said earlier that Paul, in saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he's driving this point home that that Jesus was fully God. In the incarnation, Jesus, yes, was fully man, but he was also fully God. That means 100% man, 100% God. And then he goes on to drive that point home even further when he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In saying this, uh, Paul is declaring another profound theological truth for us. Jesus had to be fully God in the flesh in order to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He had to live 
for our sins. To be the perfect sacrifice, the, the sacrificial lamb for our sins. The fullness of God dwelled in the humanity of Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, for a very specific purpose because he had to fill a spot that you and I abdicated in the fall. Look there at verse 20. This is why Jesus had to come. This is what I want to focus in on as we close tonight. After Paul says that for in him, Jesus, the fullness of God resided, here's what it says next. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Here is the the why. Here's one of the big whys of the incarnation. Paul closes our passage here by telling us what the purpose of the incarnation of Jesus was. This is one of the most beautiful and majestic verses in all of the scriptures. It says that Jesus came to make peace by the blood of the cross. See, on the cross, we actually see another kind of supremacy. We see another kind of of preeminence. We see the supreme and preeminent power that Jesus had over sin. And as the Prince of Peace, Paul is saying here that that, uh, Jesus is ultimately going to subdue all rebellion against God. He is going to subdue all rebellion against God's purposes. For the believer, if you're here tonight and you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, here's what this means. If it, this means that present reconciliation to God is possible for you. We've talked about this in, in, a few weeks ago. You don't have to wait till the end of your life to kind of know whether or not you're in God's good graces. You can know tonight because of Jesus' work on the cross and because of his grace to you, you can be reconciled with God. So that's what, in part, this means. But for those who don't believe, if Jesus is ultimately going to subdue all uh, rebellion against God and, and his purposes, if you don't believe... And this includes the demonic powers that exist in, in, in the spirit world. Christ's reign of peace over their rebellion will be put on them as, as Christ comes as the conquering king. But the basis... For Christ's reign of peace that we see here in this verse is the blood of his cross. The cross truly is the pivotal point of all human history. Here's the second thing that I want to invite you to see. Jesus is supreme over all things, even sin through his cross. Jesus is supreme over all things, even your sin through the cross. Friend, if you truly look up to the cross this evening and you see the incarnate, uncreated one, the the invisible, made visible God, man, Jesus, if you look at him in a small way, it is like looking at the mountains from the top of of Klingsman Dome. You're catching a, a glimpse If you're on top of Klingsman Gum, you're just catching a glimpse, but it's a glimpse of what we're talking about here. You are confronted with one of two things as you look at Jesus, the incarnate one. The first one, and some of you may find yourself in this spaced power, who claims to have that much tolerance or a distrust of someone who has that much power, who claims to have that much power. You, You are 
weary, wary, I should say, of someone who claims to have that much authority. You think nobody could be that good and still be in authority. No one could be given that much supremacy and preeminence and be trusted. And I know why you think that. Because you've given, uh, you've given trust and faith to bosses and people of uh, positions of authority over you, and you've been burnt. I get that. But some of you here tonight, your heart is warmed by this idea. You know in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, and you trust him in all of his power and and authority. You want to give up your idols to make Jesus supreme in your life. Friends, this text tells us that peace will be made one way or another. You and I will either be reconciled to Jesus through the blood of the cross, or we will one day be brought to our knees in recognition that Jesus is Lord, but the Jesus that you believe in today makes all the difference. He's either the Christ of this text or of your own making. And if you are reconciled to him, if you would say that Jesus is your, uh, your Lord, you're his child, let me ask you this. When was the last time you have been so overwhelmed with the cross that, that you have been flooded with gratitude? Like, when is the last time that you just couldn't hold back the thankfulness that you had to God? Maybe it was expressed through, through tears, even. When is the last time you came right up to the cross and His love and His grace and His mercy overwhelmed you? You can be a believer, like you can be a Christian, and not have had the, the, uh, the cross of Jesus affect you that way. So tonight, you may need to ask the Lord to, to, to move you, for you to be able to see Jesus for all that He is, so that your heart is moved and, and really flooded with gratitude, flooded with thankfulness, maybe even moved to tears, maybe you express it in song or prayer or whatever, but that, that you are, are um, experiencing the grace of God. If you don't believe in Jesus and you're here tonight or you're listening online, I I want to plead with you to do business with the Christ of this text. Find me, if you're here, find me after church. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to make Jesus supreme in your life. If you're, if you're watching online, get in touch with us. Let us know how we can serve you in that way. I'd love to tell you more about him. One of our leaders here would love to tell you more about this Jesus. We asked earlier that what if all of our problems and frustrations and anxiety and worry point back to us missing the magnitude and and magnificence of something important in our lives? I think we've answered that question that in many ways we are missing Jesus. Our our frustrations and our problems and and our anxiety have to do with the fact that we coddle our idols. We we coddle things that can't uh, follow through with what we think they promise. And so we miss the magnificence and the magnitude of Jesus. What if, what if we have settled for a lesser version of, of something great and grand? Jesus was meant to be great and grand in your life. Friend, when you get right up to the cross, 
you begin to get captured by the reality that Jesus reigned supreme over your sin in your place so that you could have spiritual peace. See, the incarnation wasn't the, the, the beginning of Jesus. It's when he entered our time and space. But, but Christmas Day, right, the incarnation that happened on Christmas was always about Easter weekend. He was on a mission, Jesus, to pursue, to seek, and save those who wanted to be done with their battle with their idols and would turn to him for peace and reconciliation. See, the Smokies looked impressive until I got right in front of them. They looked great in pictures, but until I actually got in front of them, I was overwhelmed with their magnificence. It was when I got a greater glimpse of those mountains that it left me speechless. Let's do that, friends, with the cross. Let's not settle for a picture of the cross. Let's settle for the cross itself. Don't look at the cross from afar. Come right up to it and let it overwhelm you with its magnificence. See, seeing Jesus up close like that changes you. It changes everything. Let's pray together.